Okay, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians. We'd like to look at the first chapter this morning. Lord willing, I would like to share some messages from this book, the epistle of 1 Thessalonians. And we'll be going through it in the next number of months. And I'm not sure how many messages I'll I'll bring from it, but I'd like to at least move through the five chapters and and bring a number of messages, no doubt, from this epistle. But this morning, I've titled the message, Characteristics of a Vibrant Church. Characteristics of a Vibrant Church. And we'll note some characteristics here in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Before we get into it any further, I'd like to just notice a few interesting facts here about this letter Uh, This letter is considered to be perhaps the earliest of Paul's writings. There is some thought that Galatians uh, might have been written earlier, but but generally uh, it is considered here 1 Thessalonians to be uh, the earliest written that we have at least, possibly around A.D. 51. It's also interesting to note through this epistle that uh, it's a very warm and personal letter. It's not nearly as heavy and as doctrinal as many of the other epistles that Paul wrote. There's little rebuke in it, but there's just a lot of love. There's a lot of appreciation. There's a lot of encouragement that we find in his letter to the the church at Thessalonica. There's a couple things that we see in the first two verses that have become a standard in his other epistles. Uh, so, you know, if in fact 1 Thessalonians was uh, his, one of his earliest writings, at least, that we have, uh, then we see a, a something that becomes normal in, in a lot of his other writings. One is, is his greeting. Note there in verse 1, down towards uh, the end there, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you, you, can, you can look through his different letters, and pretty much every one, he has that greeting towards the beginning of his letter. And almost the exact same wording, grace be unto you in peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Might be a slight variation in wording from letter to letter, but, but pretty much every epistle has that greeting. Except I noted with interest that uh, the letters to Timothy and Titus, he adds mercy, (laughs) grace, mercy, and peace. Uh, I I don't know why. Uh, Perhaps those two young men needed more mercy than some of the other people. I don't know. But I found that interesting that those two, grace, mercy, and peace, but to everyone else it's just grace and peace. So for whatever that's worth, I guess we could look into that in depth sometime, perhaps. It would be interesting. Some of those things in the scripture we, we can look into, but it's hard to figure out all the details for sure. But another normal part of Paul's letters, his opening comments, was his giving of thanks for the people. His giving of thanks for the church that he was writing to, and then a reminder to them that he's praying for them. Uh, in almost every epistle, he, he mentions that early on. He thanks God for them, and then he says, I'm praying for you. I think of you often. I think of you often. We note that there in verse 2. 
giving thanks to God always for you all, making a mention of you in our prayers. And that's, that was normal with the Apostle Paul. It's, it's interesting to, to think about the Apostle Paul, and we noted this just a little bit in our lesson this morning, Sunday school lesson, that you know, even though he was a man of, of uh, much responsibility and authority in, in the church, and, and he certainly had heavy things to work through in relating to, to heavy issues and sin issues in the church and so forth, yet he was a man that was very tender. Uh, and, and he loved the people. He expresses over and over his love for the people of God. And, and we see that especially in the, in the first and second Thessalonians. The people of God were very dear to him, and he loved them, and he prayed for them. Just a real, a real example for me as I consider my responsibilities in the church that, that I can have that same love and respect and, and committing to prayer as well. The writing of this letter was probably prompted uh, by a report that Timothy brought back to Paul. Uh, Paul had sent Timothy out to check up on the church at Thessalonica. And so Timothy did that. And when he came back, he shared very encouraging news. He gave Paul good news that the church was faithful, that the church was growing, that there was, there was good things happening at the young church there. And so in response to that, Paul wrote this letter expressing his thanks to God for them and, and not rebuking them, but just encouraging them to keep walking with the Lord. Uh, the church at Thessalonica was established by Paul on his second missionary journey. Before we read this passage, just flip back to Acts chapter 17 for just a little background there. A few verses that speak of establishing the church there. Acts chapter 17, uh, the first four verses. We read this. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, or he is the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. Just believe it. He was trying to get them to, to come to that reality. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. So that's, that's sort of the establishment there. That's the beginning of the church there at Thessalonica. We do see then, I won't read this, but going on the next few verses, we see that, that the Jews created quite a, quite a stir. At least a, a number of the Jews got together and, and they were upset about this and they were saying that, that Paul says that we need to serve another king. You know, that there's another king. We shouldn't... Well, he didn't say we shouldn't serve Caesar, but he said there's another king that we need to be serving, and this isn't right. He, you know, and so they created a big stir and, and, and made a mess, and, and Paul went on to, to Berea, where the people were very receptive, and they studied the scriptures and, and didn't take anything just at face value, but they studied them. They said, is this true? And, and they looked into the scriptures, and the Jews ran after them there, too. Uh, the Jews from Thessalonica that weren't happy, they went and and stirred up trouble there too. Anyway, that was the beginning of the church at Thessalonica. 
Okay, now let us go back here and let us read chapter 1 that we'd like to uh, draw some thoughts from this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Okay, so this morning we'd like to to note characteristics of a vibrant church, the example of the church there at Thessalonica. But before we look at these five characteristics here that are listed in this passage, I would like us to note the position of this church. Note the position of this church in verse 1. And I think this sets a foundation for the characteristics that follow. I believe it does. So we have Paul and Silas and Timothy under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of those little things that sometimes we can kind of just skim over and think that, oh, this is just part of the greeting, moving on, you know. But I would like us to think about this just a moment. Paul was saying that there is something real about this group of people. This group of people is, has a solid foundation. This church is founded in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a testimony. Would to God that could be said of the little church here at Wolf Trap. You know, that people could say, you know, there's something about those people that's different. Uh, you know, there's something about that church that just leaves no doubt. They're sincere. Uh, they're honest. They treat you well. They love each other. Uh, there's a power at work there among those people. And would to God that people could look at our congregation and say, you know, it's obvious that they are connected to God. It's, it's obvious that they are walking with the Lord. The church at Thessalonica was connected Uh, to the source of life and the source of power. And because of that, they were healthy. They were strong. uh, They were vibrant. And the characteristics that were evident among them were so only because they were abiding in Christ. 
They were built on the rock. Their church had a solid foundation. And therefore, the characteristics that we're getting ready to look at were flowing out of that connection with Jesus Christ. It's about having first things first. The truth is, we can never expect to have a vibrant church if we don't have a solid connection to Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. Yet, sadly, there are people... And there are churches that have the wrong things first. The wrong things first. Uh, They're trying to show the right picture, you could say. They're trying to look right. They're trying to show the right picture, but yet they're connected uh, to the wrong power. And it just simply doesn't work. There's problems there. In 2 Timothy, we read about people like that who have a form of godliness but it says they deny the power thereof. They have a form of godliness, but there's actually a disconnect. There's a denial of the power. And the Apostle Paul said to turn away from people like that. Have nothing to do with people like that. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. The importance of that connection with Jesus Christ. Realizing that without that connection, our works are useless. Our works do not save us, of course. But it's that connection to Jesus Christ that we find strength and that we uh, find benefit and reward in life. And certainly this applies to us individually uh, as well as to us as a congregation, a collective body of believers. Uh, The truth is the church is made up of individuals. Uh, The church is made up of you and and you. The church is made up of people like me. It's made up of individuals. And so, the church will only be as strong and and as brave and as pure as the people are. We are the church. Uh, What kind of church do you want to be a part of this morning? I want to be a part of a vibrant church. And I trust you do as well. But do you know what that means? (laughs) Do you know what that means? That means that I need to personally then nurture a life that is connected consistently to Jesus Christ. Uh, and and maybe, that's, maybe that's just a no-brainer, but sometimes we don't get the no-brainers. <laughs> sometimes I don't. Um, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, the church is just, you know, this, this body, you know, this group, you know, and, and it's, it's a nice thing. And, but yet... We individually make up the church. We individually make that body up. And so as members of the body of Christ, we each play a vital part in ensuring the strength and the health of our congregation. And when we each shoulder the responsibility of that, then we have the makings for a vibrant church. I'm thankful for this this beginning challenge from the book of 1 Thessalonians. 
Right? It was a church that was in God the Father, and it was a church that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, certainly a, a perfect position, certainly a good position to be in. Let's look now at five characteristics of a vibrant church, characteristics that were found here in the church at Thessalonica. And first of all, I note that it was an energetic church. Note verse 3, an energetic church. Now, we don't, we don't see a lot of physical activity, perhaps, when we first read it, but if you look into it a little bit more, I think you'll understand. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Your work of faith. Or we could say, uh, your work produced by faith. Your labor of love. Or your labor that's prompted by love. Your patience of hope. Your endurance that's inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. I don't know how you find it this morning, dear people, but for me, it takes a lot of energy to consistently live the Christian life. Uh, it's something that, that takes a lot of effort and that takes a lot of discipline. It's not something that just happens. And so things like loving and, and forgiving and speaking kindly and, and having good attitudes and reading the Word and praying and, and preparing messages and resisting temptation and so on and so forth... Those things, unfortunately, they don't just happen automatically for me. But it's something that, that for me, it takes some deliberate decisions, choices. I will do this. We talked about that this morning just a bit in Sunday school, too. The fact that how forgiveness doesn't just happen. Forgiveness is a choice that we must make. And although these things can be exhausting at times... Uh, we strive to make these deliberate decisions because we have faith in the Word of God. We have faith in the promises of God. And, and also, I trust that, that we have experienced the rewards and blessings of making these right choices in the past. We know what it means. We know how it feels. We know the blessings for ourselves and for others when we choose to make these right choices. But I say it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes discipline. You know, physically speaking, an active body is generally a healthy body. And the same is true in the body of Christ. A healthy body, a healthy church, will be characterized by a zeal to do the Lord's work. It will be characterized by a zeal to be involved in the needs in the community. Needs that become obvious to us. There's activity to be involved in. In James 2, we're reminded that it is our faith. Our faith is proved by our works. In fact, we read that faith without works is dead being alone. Faith without works is dead being alone. And the church at Thessalonica was noted for their work that was produced by faith. It was a faith that worked. It's a challenge we have from them. 
Now, at the age of 12, you remember Jesus there uh, addressing his parents when he was in the temple. They came looking for him. And they said, what have you been doing? We've been looking for you. What's going on, Jesus? And he said, didn't you know that I need to be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. And then Jesus went on, in the years to come, he went on to show them and to show us what it means to be about my father's business. It's a life that, that unselfishly and compassionately cares for the needs around us. The needs of others, physical needs, spiritual needs. And the church at Thessalonica was noted for their labor that was prompted by love, by compassion for those around them. In Galatians 6, 9 we read, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The church at Thessalonica was also noted for their endurance that was inspired by hope. They had a hope. And so they kept, they kept on. They kept on. There in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, we read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That takes energy. <laughs> that doesn't just happen. But yet, there is much blessing. There is much reward. I believe a church, a vibrant church, will also be an energetic church. A church that is quick to see the needs around them and willing to do something about it. We see that in the church here at Thessalonica. Secondly, then, a characteristic that I see is that it is an elect church. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Or in other words, you have been chosen by God. The church is made up of people uh, who have been chosen by God Himself. How special. Chosen by God Himself. Uh, we are God's people. And I know sometimes we, we use that term, we're the children of God, we're God's people, and, and it's just something you say in church, you know, it's just church lingo. But it is so much deeper than that. Think about it. Think of who God is. Think of who we are. There's a vast difference. Why would God want us? But yet God has chosen us. We are God's people. He has adopted us. You know, being chosen brings a sense of belonging. Being chosen brings a sense of security. It gives us purpose in life. Uh, it makes us feel loved. It makes us feel needed. I, my mind just goes to uh, many years ago when we would play ball out here down by the ball diamond at school or something and, and they would pick captain, two captains. Okay, let's choose. Everyone stand up here, two captains. Then they start choosing. Okay, I'll take this guy. I'll take this guy. Okay, I'll take this one. And it keeps going down. And, and I always felt bad for those last few children that, that just, you know, no one wanted to choose them, you know. 
and okay, I'll, I'll take, okay, you know. And then, you know, it's not that way with God. It's not that way with God. He, he has accepted us. He loves us. He has chosen us. We're not the last in line. Okay, I'll take you, you know. No, it's not, that's not how it is with God. But being chosen also brings a sense of responsibility to the child of God. There's responsibility in being one of God's chosen people. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a beautiful passage that talks about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. <coughs> According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That's beautiful. The fact that God has chosen us to be His children, and it says even before the world began, He had this plan in place. He had this plan in place that we would be chosen and that He would adopt us into, the, into His family. We are accepted. But, what is, the, what is the responsibility for the children of God? Verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. I'm saying that chosen people have a responsibility. Each one of us as children of God, have a responsibility to live a life uh, that is holy and blameless in the power of Jesus Christ. I turn also to 1 Peter, some verses also that speak about uh, the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and we read this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. And by the way, that doesn't mean you're a strange people or kind of weird. No, that's not what it means. Peculiar. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Chad didn't bring me my water this morning. <laughs> Actually, I'm fine. It's not a water issue, really. It's <laughs> peculiar has the idea of being a purchased people, uh, a bought people. A people that belong to God. That's who the people of God are. Moving on. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The chosen people of God. A peculiar people. A people that have, been, that have been bought. I want you. I want you to be a part of my family. You belong to me. The heart of God. How beautiful. But a responsibility comes with that. We are people that are to show forth the praises of God. 
We've been changed. We have been brought out of darkness. We have been brought into the light of Christ. And we are to show forth the praises of God as chosen people. I'm so glad this morning that I'm a part of the family of God. And I trust that you have joy in your life because of that as well. Another characteristic I see here about the church at Thessalonica is a characteristic of a vibrant church. And that is that it is an exemplary church. It is an exemplary church. Verse 7. Let's read verse 6 as well. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Examples. Now note, first of all, the Apostle Paul reminds the church of his example. He reminds us in verse 5 that his preaching wasn't just simply his own words. No, they weren't just empty words that he was bringing to them, but they were from the Holy Spirit. They were Spirit-inspired. And therefore, uh, they were powerful. This was the gospel, the power of the gospel that he was bringing to them. He says, For our gospel came not uh, unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance. And then he also shows the example in his lifestyle in verses 5 and 6. His lifestyle, his personal lifestyle was such that uh, could be safely followed. He became followers of us and of the Lord. There in the last part of verse 5. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. In other words, you know that we lived our lives right and open and transparent before you. And so he starts there by by talking about his example, the example of his preaching, the example of his lifestyle. And then he notes their example in verse 7. He says that you became a model to all the believers in the countryside around. You became a model. You were an example to all those around. You know, an exemplary church is, is not one that is merely following Uh, a great preacher or a great teacher, but an exemplary church is one that is first of all walking in step with God. It's walking in step with God. And and certainly, those two ought to be together. Uh, The preacher and teacher and walking in step with God. There should be a connection there. Truly, there should be. I note that various times in Paul's writings... He called the people to follow him, which seems maybe a little bit lofty or bold to say that, but he didn't stop there. He would always qualify it by saying, follow me as I follow Christ, or some other similar wording, as I follow Christ. There, and we see that here in in verse uh, 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. In other words, it's not just me, but we are following the Lord. And of the Lord. Paul was someone that had a boldness to share the truth, but he always pointed back to Jesus Christ as where the strength and the power came from. Well, I ask us this morning, how will, how will South Boston 
How will Halifax County see Jesus? How will they see Jesus? Will they actually physically see Jesus? Uh, no, probably not. But South Boston and Halifax County will see Jesus uh, through the church. Uh, they'll see Jesus in you and me. That's how they'll see Jesus. Uh, we are his feet. We are his hands. We are his mouth. And when our greatest goal in life uh, is to follow, follow his pattern then we become an example that can be safely followed. By the way, we are setting an example. We are. Our life is, is a living example of the way we act, uh, the way we talk, the way we drive, the way we do business. All of these things, uh, they're painting a picture in the minds of those that are looking on. They're painting a picture. And I trust that the picture that is being painted is one that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is seen in that picture in the way we live our lives. Fourthly, then, I note that the church at Thessalonica was an evangelistic church. It's another characteristic of a vibrant church. It's an evangelistic church. And we note that in verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, or uh, it echoed out. That's another, another word taken from that same Greek word. Sounded out, echoed abroad. The message rang out, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Paul said, your faith in God has been made known everywhere. People have heard about you all over, your faith in God. Here is a church that, that just couldn't be quiet. They just couldn't be quiet. And, and obviously, they had said enough that, that even Paul, of all people, said that we don't need to say anything else. <laughs> just, they've said enough. Their life speaks. But, but more than that, this isn't just about how their life speaks. Their, their words are speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. You know, the more that I study the Bible, the more I believe uh, that God's people are not characterized by simply being those quiet in the land people, or they're not characterized uh, by establishing tight little sheltered communities, you know, with shiny vehicles and pretty gardens and lawns and, and really clean houses. That's not what the people of God are characterized by. But instead, I believe that God's people will be known as those who are engaging in society in healthy and meaningful ways. God's people will be those who are looking for and taking opportunities to establish relationships for the purpose of presenting the gospel of Christ. In other words, you know, from day to day thinking, you know, how can I, what can I do today? How can I make a contact that could aid me in speaking a word for Christ? What can I do? It's, it's, it's taking the opportunity to share with, with others about Christ. Uh, the people of God, I believe, are people who are characterized 
by a willingness to step out of their comfort zone regularly in order to be obedient to the call of Christ. No, it's not comfortable, but it's being obedient in doing what God has called me to do. Uh, there are people who are not ashamed to speak the truth of the gospel, even when it's not popular. Because the people of God well know that it's in the truth of the gospel that the power is found. There's power to change lives there that can't be found anywhere else. And so I'm convinced this morning that when we as individuals and when we as a congregation uh, can catch a similar vision for sounding out the word of the Lord, that is in the making, or that is the making of a vibrant church. That vision of sharing the gospel, sounding out the word of the Lord to those around us. The church here at Thessalonica was known as an evangelistic church. The word of God didn't just stay with them. It was good news. It was meant to be shared, and they were faithful in doing that. They were known for doing that. Lastly, then, a characteristic of a vibrant church that I see here is that it is an expectant church. A vibrant church is an expectant church. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. A vibrant church is one that is anxiously waiting for the return of Christ. And it's important to note in verse 9 that a vibrant church is made up of people who have, an, who have experienced uh, an authentic salvation experience. Note there in verse 9, how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so when I say authentic, I mean it's an experience that changed them. They're a different person. They look different. They act different. Uh, they talk different. They have a new heart. Uh, they, they have new desires. They have new goals in life. That's authentic. It's where a real change has taken place. You see, people like that are, are no longer at odds with Christ, but instead they are in fellowship with Him. There's a connection there that's real and that's making a difference in their life. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that takes us back once again to that importance of being in Christ. It's that authentic salvation experience that is so foundational then to having an expectant attitude, an attitude of awaiting, anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. Another one of the things that is new, behold all things have become new, another new thing for the believer is our destiny. Here we read that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come. <laughs> Praise God. We don't have to fear the end. But instead, as the old gospel song says, it'll be joy when I hear the trumpet sound. That's something that we can look forward to. There's joy there. It's not something that we have to fear or tremble when we think about the end. 
Let's turn to 2 Peter for a few closing verses here. As we think about the believer's anticipation for the second coming of Christ, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I would like you to note in verses 10 through 14, note the words of expectancy. Note the words of anticipation. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. Do you see those words? Looking for and hasting. And then another two times, look for. That looking for and hasting means an earnest desire. Like, I can't wait. It's that anxious desire, that anticipation for the coming of Christ. That is one of the characteristics of a vibrant church. We note that here in the church at Thessalonica. A vibrant church is an expectant church. And an expectant church is a faithful church. A church that is living in such a way as to win the prize. An expectant church. And may we be among the faithful few. Well, we've noted some characteristics of a vibrant church. What kind of church do you want to be a part of this morning? Do you want to be a part of an energetic church? Do you want to be a part of an elect, a chosen group of people? Do you want to be a part of an exemplary church? Do you want to be a part of a church that is, has an evangelistical mindset? Do you want to be a part of an expectant church? I do. I trust you do too. Then my challenge to you this morning is be that kind of a person. Be that kind of a person. You see, once again, the church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of you and you. It's made up of people like me. God is counting on each one of us. And may we be faithful. And may the Lord find a faithful and vibrant church when He returns. May that be our desire. Roland, you have a song prepared. We'll have a song this time.